Welcome back to another episode of the Been There, Read That podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Batty, and this program, as always, is brought to you by ChristianResearcher.com. At the end of every year, I sit down, I look back at the books that I've read, and I make a stack on my desk or on table of all the books that I read in their entirety and then the books that I read part of. And I have to freely confess, my stack of books that I've partially read is way bigger than my fully read stack. That would probably shame my mother. My mom would be embarrassed if she saw my stack. I remember as a kid, she'd make us read a book, and we had to read every word of every page, the whole book through, before we could move on to the next book. And I guess one thing as an adult, I've rebelled against that, and I read partial books all the time, Uh, in part because some books are only partially worth reading. That's not why all my books are in the stack, but I guess that's something I can tell myself and make me feel better about it. Anyway, um, what I want to do today is I want to go through... And talk about some of my favorite books that I've read this year. At the end of the program, we're going to talk about my top five. I had kind of a difficult time cutting it down to five and trying to figure out what was going to go in my top five. But anyway, before we get to the top five, I want to talk about just some honorable mentions. And these books are in no particular order. They're just books that I've read, books that I enjoyed. A few of them we've already talked about on the podcast, so I'm not going to go into as much detail about them. But as we go along a point out some stuff. I hope there's some books in here that you may find helpful, some titles or some subject areas that you find interesting. First one on my list of honorable mentions is Genesis by Richard P. Belcher Jr. I did a podcast episode with uh, my brother-in-law Jamie and we discussed that book. I really enjoyed it because Belcher did a good job of taking a full inspiration view, attacking some major issues within the book of Genesis, for instance, the days of creation, Uh, the documentary Hypothesis, and he also did a good job of showing how the narratives flowed together and how you have repeated themes throughout and kind of linking up of stories throughout. He just did a really good, enjoyable book. It's a good introduction to the book of Genesis, and I felt like I learned quite a bit from it while also captivating my attention. I chose that book because I decided in one of my reading groups I do to read a commentary on each book of the Bible. I want to do kind of an introductory-slash-mediocre intermediate type of a read to build some background for guys in the study, but also pique some interest and get through some reading material. And so anyway, when I did Genesis, I chose Belcher's book. I'm really glad that I did that. I found that to be really fascinating read, introduced me to Belcher, and I've been reading some of his other books along the way too, and all in all, he's a pretty good author. A second book on my list is Follow the Lamb by Rob Dalrymple. Uh, My father came here to Indianapolis and held his gospel meeting back over the summertime in July, and he taught through the book of Revelation, not the entire book, but he taught some scenes out of the book of Revelation. Very fascinating study that he went through, and that piqued my interest again in the book of Revelation, so I went back and started reading some more material, and I happened to have Dalrymple's book on my shelf, and it was a very satisfying and also frustrating book at the same time. And what I mean by that is, 
what he would do is he would introduce a concept to you or a theme, and he would begin tracing the theme throughout the book of Revelation. And after he had got the train kind of moving down the tracks, he would stop, give you a whole bunch of questions, and leave you to do the rest of the research. It was fascinating, the, the lines that he started going down, but it was kind of frustrating because you just want to be like, okay, man, just give me the material. Give me the thought. Don't make me work for all this. I realize I'm going to benefit from it more if I work like you're asking me to do, but I don't really want to do that. Just just give it to me. So in the process of reading through that book, I learned quite a bit. It piqued my interest, and I thought, I wonder if this guy's written any other stuff. And I happened to find that he has a podcast. And so I'm going to reference his podcast. I think it's very interesting. I've been listening to it quite a bit over this year. It's called the Determining Truth Podcast. You can find it on Podbean. That's the host, by the way, that we use to broadcast our podcast. But anyway, the Determining Truth podcast with Rob Dalrymple. And that's a really interesting approach to the book of Revelation in particular. He does some other material. I don't know what his other stuff's like, but his material on Revelation is really good. Really enjoyed that book. A third one on my list is a book called Family Shepherds by Vody Bauckham Jr. I dedicated a whole episode of this program to that. Uh, my brother, Aaron Batty, had recommended that book to me. I read through it. There were several guys from church in one of my reading groups and really enjoyed it. It's got a little bit of chicken and bones. He is a Calvinist, but had a lot of good, straightforward, direct talk, if you will, to fathers about the responsibility God has given them to lead their homes. Some really good advice along the way. Very practical, counseling, hands-on type of book. Glad we read that. Benefited from it quite a bit. My personal uh, reflections and studies as well. Fourth book. I picked up was called Deserting the King, the Book of Judges by David Beldman. This is part of the Transformative Word series. I discovered the Transformative Word series last year. I purchased a book that I'll talk about in just a moment on the book of Revelation. And um, these Transformative Word series, they, they take a different book of the Bible, and it's a brief overview, maybe a theology, uh, does some structural stuff within the book, kind of tries to give you the big picture of what's going on in the book. And so um, I was wanting to read a little bit on the book of Judges, but I didn't want to take time to dedicate, you know, a really protracted period of time to do, to studying the book of Judges because I simply didn't have the time. But one thing about the Transformed Award series, they're like 90 pages, 90 to 120 pages, somewhere in there. They're really thin books, easy to read. I was very impressed with this volume on the book of Judges. Uh, David Beldman did a really good job of showing the structure of the book of Judges and to show that it is a spiraling structure and things get worse and worse and worse as you go throughout the book, pulling out some major themes, building some of the narrative uh, backdrops, if you will, and showing that the parts together form a much bigger and clearer picture. Fascinating little read. Really glad I did that. Another book that's on my list that I finished reading here just recently is by R. Kent Hughes. Kent Hughes has done a whole bunch of books published mainly by Crossway Publishing. And um, it's called Dis Disciplines of a Godly Man. This is kind of along the lines of the Bauckham book. He's talking to men, and he's, he's teaching them you have to be disciplined as a father, as a husband, as a leader, as a church member. He talks about specific areas of devotion. Some of his areas are better than others. One area in particular that stu stood out in my mind was the discipline of the mind. It's reminded me a lot of one of my favorite books by J.P. Moreland, Love Your God With All Your Mind. 
really direct talk in this book about how to discipline yourself and develop your mind and your character for God's glory and benefit. Another chapter, maybe one of the best chapters I've ever read, was is called The Discipline of Giving. And he's talking about how to give financially uh, back to the Lord and how to discipline your life and how your giving should affect your life. I thought that was a really, really fascinating book. Uh, he has, I don't know, there's over 20 chapters in the book. It's more of a, a layman conversational tone in nature discussing a number of things that men in particular need to be aware of and talk about. Um, some really good counsel. It's kind of like a grandfather sitting down and saying, here's what I want my grandsons to know. And I could appreciate that a lot. Uh, I think it'd be very helpful if some of our older brethren would sit down and write a book in that manner directed to young men in particular or to uh, young fathers. How can you go about being better in your role for the glory of God and for the sake of your family? Another book on my list was The Parables of Jesus by David Wenham. So I discovered David Wenham is the brother to Gordon J. Wenham, who has written a number of commentaries, really renowned commentator. But anyway, David Wenham wrote this book on the parables. And one of the reasons I, I found this book was because I've been studying off and on throughout the year on parables. I've read some material that was helpful on parables, some stuff that was not so helpful on the parables. What I'm discovering is that in my opinion, there's more to the parables than what we typically give them credit for. We go by and pick the low-hanging fruit, if you will. We take the service-level application, but we don't fully take the time to ask, uh, what's the background of this parable? To whom was this parable given? How are these parables clustered together? What is the meaning before we jump straight to application? I think sometimes the application we, we get from a parable may be, off focus because we haven't asked what does the parable actually mean and of all the books that I've read so far on the parables I feel like Wenham does a pretty good job of going below the surface reading giving you some provocative thoughts uh, you know giving you some some roads or some rabbits to chase down while also being grounded in what does the text actually say and actually mean very interesting read. I'd recommend this if you want to study the parables in depth. Another book that I read, this was recommended by my father. It's called Tactics by Gregory Kukul. I just finished reading this with a group of young people. It's more of an apologetics-based book, and what Kukul is trying to do is give you some tactics for both defending the gospel and also starting conversations trying to provoke people to think about their, their doctrinal stances on things. One of his big tactics is trying to place a pebble in someone's shoe, is how he describes it. He's, he says, I'm not out to convert you in my first conversation. I'm just giving you a piece of food for thought that I hope uh, irritates you like a little rock in your shoe. But he gives a whole bunch of different approaches, and there's a lot of practical stuff. There's what I would call common sense material in this book that is not so common anymore, though it may be sensical. There's a lot of uh, practical aspects for discipling, for what people call witnessing, what I would just call talking about the gospel to your friends, or when you're put on the spot, how do you how do you have a conversation with someone who is an expert in the field that you know very little about? Or when you find yourself discussing a religious topic that you haven't studied before, and you can recognize that this person is off base, they don't have truth, and they're being very aggressive, how do you uh, take control of the conversation in a way that is both productive and non-offensive. One of the things that stands out in my mind that he said 
as he was he was writing was that if you get mad or the other person gets mad you lose immediately one of the things he talks about a lot too is the art of listening i took uh, counseling courses in college i have a degree in counseling and one of the things they harped on over and over and over again was in order to help people you have to listen to people you have to have people explain where they are and counseling is really about helping people f- help themselves I think there's a lot of benefit in approaching conversations with people in general that way, asking open-ended leading questions, uh, questions that provoke their thoughts and get them to thinking about things for themselves rather than direct statements or uh, driving points home with people. He emphasized you're not out to, to win a debate, you're out to convert people, you're out to get people convicted about what they believe in. Uh, Kukul, he ran a radio program for a long time. I don't know if he still does or not, but he's, he's done a lot of YouTube videos, a lot of seminars. There's a DVD set, set that I understand goes along with this book, Tactics. Really enjoyable reading, practical stuff. I think this is something that's really important for every Christian to read for the sake of understanding how to better talk about the gospel to people. I think that's, that's a very intimidating factor, and we shy away from having difficult conversations we shy away from conflict though conflict can be very beneficial and cause great growth i think if people would read tactics they would feel much more confident in approaching their friends and neighbors maybe even their family members and having that much needed conversation about jesus in the bible so i'd highly recommend uh, kukul and his book tactics another book that I, i read recently was called how to Teach the Tabernacle is written by David Gooding. I'm going to come back to Gooding, really good author, but this book was designed as a means of teaching the tabernacle to children or to young people. I found that fascinating. That's why I picked it up and read it. So it's a really short book, about, I don't know, 65 or 70 pages. Easy reading. Fascinating, fascinating job. Does an excellent job of teaching the, the tabernacle and also giving you a lot of foundational thoughts that you could develop into individual sermons. Um, I was just amazed, really, as I read through it. It's both its simplicity, but its vividness really made the material come to life and gets you to thinking down a lot of paths that people don't typically go down when they're thinking about the tabernacle. Really fascinating stuff. A couple of commentaries that I read, I want to point out in particular, and this first one would probably be in my top five if I had read the whole thing. I haven't read the whole thing yet. I'm, I'm in the process of it. I'm doing it in a reading group. But it's a commentary. It's the Tyndale Old Testament commentary on Leviticus. It's written by Jay Sklar. This is a fairly new volume. I've talked about this some in a previous episode on the book of Leviticus because I was, I was looking for, through a whole bunch of material on the book of Leviticus trying to find some material to do use in a reading group. I read James E. Smith's commentary. I read Mark Rooker's commentary from the New American Commentary series. Derek Tidball's Bible Speaks Today commentary series. Robert uh, Vashol's from the Mentor commentary. I read a whole bunch of different stuff. And I I kept coming back to Sklar because it was succinct. It was uh, layman style, introductory, but got a lot of good depth to it as well, while at the same time being understandable and not overwhelming. Um, we're about two-thirds of the way through the book at this point, just finished reading about the Day of Atonement. I have been extremely impressed with Sklar's work. I would r- highly recommend it at this point. There's only been a couple of things that I've disagreed with. Um, I've learned a lot from it. He's taken some scenes and made them come to life. 
Uh, for instance, one of the things that a lot of the guys didn't rec rec realize in the study going into Leviticus is that the death of Nadab and Abihu from Leviticus chapter 10 happens on the same day when God's glory arrives and fills the tabernacle that's been recently erected by Moses uh, after the consecration of Aaron and his sons. So on the first day when Aaron and his sons are offering a t sacrifice for behalf of themselves and the people, God's glory shows up, and on that day, Nadab and Abihu die. Gives you a little bit more context. That's a scene that we talk about, but we don't talk about the entire scene, the entire context, everything that goes into the death of Aaron's two sons. Just in a nutshell, very fascinating. Probably would be in my top five if I had read the entire book, but since I haven't, I'm not going to give give it that level of credit just yet. Another commentary I really enjoy, and I talked about this a little bit when I talked about the book of Daniel, was the ESV expository commentary on Daniel by Mitchell L. Chase. I did quite a bit of reading in Daniel at that time. Uh, I read some of Christopher J. H. Wright's volume, Paul R. House's volume, Del Ralph Davis and his commentary on Daniel, as well as uh, several Church Christ-based commentaries at that time including Homer Haley. I really enjoyed the ESV expository commentary. I thought uh, Chase did a good job with the structure of Daniel, making the scenes come to life, building a historical background. He takes full inspiration view of scripture. He recognizes the four kingdoms in the proper order, the Babylonians, Medes, and Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans, which is a big deal when you're talking about the book of Daniel. Uh, he takes a position that it is physical, in time, final judgment, resurrection, chapter 12, which I have some questions about. I'm not fully convinced on that, but he does a good job presenting that case, at least. I'll give him credit for that. Uh, really, really interesting, well-done volume. I definitely think it's worth having in the library and reading through. Glad I got to, to interact with that some and read that material. There's three volumes I'll throw in here, too, before we wrap up this honorable mention section. These are three books that I've read before, and I read them again this year. And I'll probably read them again next year. They, if, if I had read them for the first time, they would definitely all three be in my top five list. But I'm not putting them there because I've read them before. The first one is Love Your God With All Your Mind by J.P. Moreland. This is probably the only book that I've read, of, I think, four or five times now at this point. I read it once a year at least. In the first year, I read it two or three times. So anyway, uh, Love Your God With All Your Mind by J.P. Moreland. We've done an entire segment on this particular volume so I won't talk about that more other than to say really like it and I always get good feedback from people who have picked that up and read it um, the second one is Living Life Backwards by David Gibson this is a book on the book of Ecclesiastes it is a layman's view it's an introductory it's not going to plumb the depths of Ecclesiastes but it does a good job very good job painting the big picture of the book making it interesting making it practical really sparking interest. And I've had very good feedback on this volume as well. Um, this is a book that provokes people to reconsider their life. What is it that they're setting out to accomplish? Recognizing that you have to live life, realizing you are going to die one day and stand before God in judgment. Recognizing that death is inevitable. How are you preparing for your death? Are you living life wisely so that you can have... Um, you know, success in that. You can find pleasure. You can find happiness and purpose within your life. I think people struggle with those concepts greatly. I think even Christians struggle because they have a bit of a, a worldly mindset and they lose focus on the end goal of things. 
really excellent book. Uh, I recommended this one brother at church, and he recently bought copies for uh, one for every family at church. He, he liked it that much. I found this to be very helpful and really well received. I think there's a good conversation starter that needs to happen with families, a book that you can just kind of hand out to people. Third book that I, I reread was Between the Cross and the Throne by Matthew Emerson. This is part of that Transformative Word series, and it's actually the book that I that I discovered the Transformative Word series through. Emerson's giving a big picture view of the book of Revelation. He's showing you the cycles that take place throughout the book, some of the big themes, repeated themes. When you finish reading this, you feel like, I can do this. I can understand the book of Revelation. It's really enjoyable. Piques your interest in the fascination of the climactic book of Bible prophecy. Uh, I gave a copy of this out to every one of the families in the congregation before Dad came and held his meeting on the book of Revelation, asked them to read through it, and it would give them some some prep work, a little bit of a foundation for the meeting as it began. And those who actually did that benefited from it greatly and gave me a lot of positive feedback about that. If I were going to choose one book to give to people and say, you need to read this book as your first book, your first read on the book of Revelation, definitely I would recommend Matthew Emerson's Between the Cross and the Throne. Again, it's only about 90 pages, easy reading, fantastic little book. Can't recommend it high enough. Again, these three books, Love Your God with All Your Mind, Living Life Backwards, Between the Cross and the Throne, they would be top five if I were reading them for the first time. But since I wasn't, I do want to give them some honorable mention. Again, probably read these again next year. Okay, after long ado... I've talked long enough about these others. Let's get down to business. The top five. I had some difficulty, again, choosing these top five. And I'll do them in reverse order. I'll start with number five and we'll work up to the top recommendation over which there was a lot of controversy. Number five. It's a book called Forsaken by Thomas McCall. This is a book that centers around Jesus' cry from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a lot of controversy asking, was Jesus separated from God? Did Jesus become sin, the greatest sinner that ever was, or was he simply a substitutionary sacrifice? McCall does the best job I have ever read, hands down, in dealing with Jesus' cry from the cross. This is an extremely well-done book, very provocative. I've been asked about this particular passage at least five or six times this year by different individuals, and I've, all, I've pointed them all towards this book. I've, I've sent a copy of this book to a couple of preachers that I know and said, look, you need to read this. The value of the book is in the first chapter. If all you did was read the first chapter, well, well, well worth the money involved in that. Uh, the second chapter is really interesting as well. It talks about the the concept of the simplicity of the Godhead. So you're getting not just a discussion about the passage, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, but you're also getting a discussion about the Trinity and how the discussion of the Trinity plays into was Jesus abandoned by God? Did God separate himself from Jesus? What all's involved in that? Um, he, he discusses also, the concept of divine impassibility, divine simplicity. I won't ruin that for you and tell you what that is. I hope that piques your thoughts and interests. Maybe you want to learn some about that. does a good job with it. And he does a really good job in Chapter 3 
rejecting the concept of divine determinism, what we would commonly refer to as Calvinistic predestination. But uh, Calvin isn't the only one who believes in that, but divine determinism, he rejects that, rightfully so, does a good job of attacking it. He also attacks the concept that Jesus became sin rather than becoming our sin substitute. Really good book. Now, the last chapter, he talks about justification, sanctification. He's wrong on that. Uh, he's a Calvinist. I would skip chapter 4, but chapter 1, 2, and 3 are excellent. If all you read was chapter 1, it would be well worth the price of the book. I don't know why. I read chapter 1, blew my mind, and I put the book down. And I got to talk to my dad about it and had some discussion. I thought, I need to go back and read chapter 1 again. So I went back and read chapter 1. And I I, call, I called Dad or texted him or something and said, Hey, um, you really need to read this. I know we've discussed this. I think you really need to read this. I think this guy's right. And so he, he got a copy of it. He read it, and he texted me a couple days later. He says, Okay, I give up. He's right. So that kind of, that kind of made my day. But then I went further, and I read Chapter 2, and I got to have some discussion with my brother-in-law, Jamie, who was reading the book as well. And then after I read chapter two, I kind of put it down. It's it's not light reading. It's it's kind of heavy reading. It's new concepts, a lot of a lot of stuff to digest and to take in. So I put it down after chapter two. I recommended it to a couple of preachers, and I didn't actually pick it up and finish it until today. And I'm glad I did finish it. Chapter three was excellent as well. Chapter four, like I said, discard. But chapters one, two, three, fantastic read. So that's number five on my list. Number four on my list, read this with a group of guys, also not a light read. This is heavy reading. I, I told the guys when we started reading this, this is going to be a moderately high read on a scale of 1 to 10. This is probably like a 7. They might have disagreed with me. They might have been saying this was like a 9 or so. But it's the handbook of the New Testament use of the Old Testament by G.K. Beale. G.K. Beale was the general editor along with D.A. Carson on the commentary of the New Testament use of the Old Testament. And Beale wrote the handbook use as a hermeneutic to give out to all of the contributors to his larger commentary. I've been wanting to read this for quite some time. The The New Testament use of the Old Testament is very fascinating to me. Uh, it's something I have not appreciated as much. It's once it caught my attention and I was introduced to some major concepts, I started chasing this down. And I told the guys when we read this, the frustrating thing about reading this book was that I felt like if I had read this book three or four years ago, it would have saved me probably you know, 2,000, maybe 3,000 pages worth of reading. I basically have come to the conclusions and understood the concepts that he presents in this book, but it's, it's after doing a, an infinitely more, it's so much more work than what he has presented in this book. It, this is a really succinct book. Now, it's very dense. You know, if a, if a chapter has, say, 20 pages, it's like reading 60 pages normally. Bill can pack information into a small space. So it's very heavy reading material, but well worth the time. He has some of the best material I found anywhere on typology. He has really good material about reading forward and reading backwards in the Bible. One area of the book that I didn't care for so much because I don't feel like it's real practical in my study and how we do Bible study is how to use uh, secondary sources, whether we're talking about Targum, um, you know, Dead Sea Scrolls, all that extra biblical type of material. I'm not really overly interested in it. He does a good job presenting his case. 
Um, probably still something I'm not going to involve myself in heavily in my Bible studies, but it's there. It's it's helpful. All in all, I found the book really helpful. It is tedious reading. It's kind of overwhelming at times. You have to take it in pieces and kind of sit back and digest it, but well worth the book. I think this is a must-read in the field of hermeneutics and how to understand the Bible. Okay, number three on my list. I was debating a little bit between where to place this one because I enjoyed it so much. It was called Why Expository Preaching by David Jackman. Give you a little bit of background on my placement of this book as number three. I sat down this year and I wanted to read a bunch of books on the art of preaching. And one of the reasons for that is I don't know that we do a good job of teaching guys how to study their Bible and how to teach in a congregational setting. And I've, over time, I've been drawn more towards expository preaching. I'm getting more convicted in doing that type of teaching. And so I wanted to start studying and reading some more about sermon preparation and communication skills in general. And so I'll give you a little bit of background before I talk about this book by Jackman. Here's some of the books I've read. I read Preaching Values by James E. Smith. The Supremacy of God in Preaching by John Piper. That's highly recommended. I, I didn't care for it a whole lot. Um, in my estimation, Piper is overrated. Anyway, Feed My Sheep, A Passionate Plea for Preaching by Don Kistler. That's an anthology uh, where a lot of different guys contribute to it. It's just marginal, in my opinion. Encountering God Through Expository Preaching by Ryan Fullerton, Jim Oreck, and Brian Payne. Really enjoyed the first half of that book, and then the second half got pretty Calvinistic and not so practical. I didn't really enjoy the second half and kills the recommendability of it. Uh, he is Not Silent, Preaching in a Postmodern World by R. Albert Moeller, Jr. This had some really good material in it. He's he's very straightforward and direct in a lot of his speaking, uh, but he is very much a Calvinist, and so you can't just recommend this book across the board, though it does have some very practical and good parts. You'll, you'll see Moeller quoted in this field quite a bit in conservative books on preaching. Uh, there's another book called Preaching in the New Testament by Jonathan Griffiths. It was okay. Um, of these books here, I like Smith's the best, I guess, though I don't feel like all of the modes, he methods he puts forward are as helpful. But maybe sometime in the near future, we'll, we'll give us an uh, individual a podcast to Preaching Values by James E. Smith. Anyway, obviously, I did a lot of reading in this background. And of all the books that I read, Why Expository Preaching by David Jackman is by far head and shoulders above the rest. That's a really small book. Uh, it's it's short. It's to the point. He speaks in a very clear, concise, and pointed manner. You don't have to wonder what is David Jackman getting at. He builds a very strong case for expository preaching, even when you're thinking about topical sermons, thinking in an expository type of a manner. One of the things he drives home is expository preaching is one of the best ways, if not the best way, for allowing God to speak through Scripture. Rather than making up our own thoughts and trying to get Scriptures to back them, just simply going to Scripture and allowing Scripture to speak for itself, and doing that in a flow of thought that allows the passage to speak for itself, and allowing all of Scripture to speak by systematically teaching through books of the Bible. I, I believe that this is a must-read 
for all congregational teachers. Young guys that are wanting to learn how to teach, you need to get a copy of Why Expository Preaching by Jackman and read through it. There are a couple things that I disagreed with, but 95% of the material is just really strong material. I can't speak highly enough of this book. He not only does he describe and discuss the concept of expository preaching, but he also uh, models for you how to do that, gives you a couple of examples, and gives you some steps while not overwhelming. One of the frustrating things about expository preaching books is, and to me, very impractical, is they say, here's a list of 20 different things that you have to do if you want to do an expository sermon. And you look through, and some of them you do naturally without even thinking about it, and others you're like, oh, that's a good idea, that one not so much. And the guy's insisting, basically, you have to do all 20 steps. And if you haven't done all 20 steps, you're not going to give a good sermon. Jackman's not doing that. He gives you just a handful, uh, four or five, here's some things you need to do that are very practical, very sensible, very usable. Excellent, excellent book. Number two on my list. And it was a struggle between number one and number two. So this is more like 1A and 1B, and we'll talk about 1B first is Who Shall Ascend the Mountain of the Lord by L. Michael Morales. This is part of the Studies in Biblical Theology series put out by InterVarsity Press. By and large, in that series, I really like the entire thing. I need to spend a whole episode on this book. There's so much to unpack here. Uh, Morales does a very good job of showing that the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, are presented in a chiastic structure, the center of the chiasm being the book of Leviticus and the center of the book of Leviticus being the Day of Atonement. He does an outstanding job showing the build-up to the book of Leviticus, showing that at the end of Exodus, the tabernacle is there, God's glory has arrived, but the question is, how can you dwell in God's presence? How can you enter into God's house? Therefore, we get in the book of Leviticus, where it's showing all the sacrifice, all the purification needed to enter into God's presence in his tabernacle as his priest, and then the consequences when some of that's violated in the killing of Nadab and Abihu, and then the build-up to the Day of Atonement. Everything centers around the Day of Atonement. There were so many new concepts that were introduced to me in this book. Uh, I was kind of overwhelmed at different points as I read through this because I'm just so unfamiliar with this book of the Bible that um, I, I had to pause and you know try to process some of it. This is a book that I need to go back and read, not just again, but probably two or three times. Definitely going to go back over time and read this uh, multiple times over because I, I just found it very fascinating, to say the least, very provocative, uh, made you want to preach on the book of Leviticus, to say the least. I think in reading Scholar and his commentary, I could go back and read Morales again and benefit from it even more. He has really good material about the concept of holiness and how that factors in throughout the entire book. Um, can't say enough about this book. This is not a light read. This is not an introductory level read to the book of Leviticus, but it is well worth the time spent going through it. This is probably a 7 on a scale of 1 to 10 as far as level of difficulty reading, but a good book. Very fascinating. Very well documented and researched. I'm not going to agree with everything Morales has said. He is from a Reformed background, but you will definitely learn something in picking him up and reading. Okay, last book. Number one best book that I read this year is a book called According to Luke by David Gooding. 
Earlier in the year, I read a commentary on the book of Exodus written by um, Alec J. Motcher. In Motcher's footnote, he referenced David Gooding in a book that he wrote on the tabernacle. And that's how I found the book on the tabernacle I mentioned earlier. And when I found that book, I also discovered he wrote a narrative commentary on the Gospel of Luke. And that kind of piqued my interest. And so I, I purchased a copy of that and started reading it. And the first chapter had me hooked. Well, it was he, he, he demonstrated narrative connections throughout the early portion of the Gospel of Luke and how those connections were instrumental in understanding what is being said fully within the passage and it really just like i said it hooked me got me interested and i was about to do another reading group we want to read something in the gospels and i thought you know what i'm going to read this volume with a group of guys and get their feedback as we go along one of the things he does really good is he structures the book well he takes the book and breaks it into about seven or eight different sections and then discusses a section at a time so this is not a verse by verse commentary this is a narrative commentary where he's focusing on how the story is told to help understand what the story is telling and then showing how different stories are linked up together to give you a big picture view it shows that luke had a special purpose for how he arranged his material he is not arranging all of his material chronologically as a lot of people think yet he is still being very historic while he was writing this gooding is very high on the inspiration of the bible attacks people who don't believe in full inspiration uh, he believes in free will which is really refreshing coming from a reform background um, he believes that obedience is necessary he has some really good material on how works of faith and works of merit are differentiated and works of faith are required in order to be saved that's pretty refreshing kind of ironic uh, he is not for Calvin, Calvinistic predestination, which is also very refreshing coming from a Reformed background. Uh, though he does have a little bit of, um, you know, that the Reformed baggage that comes with him. He is a historic premillennialist. It took me quite a while to put my finger on it, but it becomes very clear towards the end of the book. So he believes that the church was always the forethought of God that the whole Bible is not just about physical Israel, but it's about building up to the Messiah and the church. He simply believes that at the end of time, Jesus is going to come back and reign on this earth for a thousand years, and he's wrong about that. So that's something to keep in mind. All in all, really, really outstanding book. This is the type of book that our folks need to read to appreciate what the Gospel of Luke is all about. A lot of times we study the books, the Gospels of the New Testament harmoniously, and there's something to be said for that, but we need to understand each writer's individual approach to presenting Christ, what stories they chose, why they chose them, how they grouped them, what the stories are teaching within that particular Gospel, arguments that are made from beginning to end, how the structure flows, what is the argument of the structure, so much material to unpack. He really shed some light in several different areas of the Gospel of Luke that um, just had some wow moments. The light bulb went on. So glad that I read this book, and it has me pumped to read some of his other material as well. Um, I've sent this to several of the guys. They found the material quite helpful, and you can actually find Gooding's material for free. Download really nice PDFs online 
through Merrifield, who is the publisher of his material. So there you have it. Top five. Number one, According to Luke by David Gooding. Number two, Who Shall Ascend the Mountain of the Lord by Michael Morales. Number three, Why Expository Preaching by David Jackman. Number four, Handbook on the New Testament, Use of the Old Testament by G.K. Beale. And number five, Forsaken by Thomas H. McCall. These are all five books I'm going to reread again in the future. And some of these I'm going to have to read multiple times to fully benefit from everything. I'm going to be learning stuff continually as I reread them. Glad I read these this year, and I'd recommend, if you're able to, uh, get a copy of them and read along as well. Maybe maybe if, if my top five don't particularly pique your interest, maybe some of the honorable mentions have piqued your interest. Appreciate you listening into the podcast this year. This was a new endeavor for me. I uh, haven't been super consistent here the last couple months because we've had some a lot of craziness going on, but hopefully in the next year we're going to be able to bring some some more book reviews to you. Do some you know weekly read throughs. Going to hopefully interview some some more evangelists and get some of their reading recommendations as well. Got a lot of interesting stuff coming at us the next year. But thank you for joining us for the podcast, not only today but throughout the year. God bless you in your studies, and I hope that you will be diligent in studying the Bible to learn more about our awesome God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that in some small way we have helped provoke you to love and to good works, that we've helped iron sharpen iron and challenge you to do some reading uh, that maybe you haven't done in the past, introduce you to some helpful friends that will benefit you in your walk. God bless. Have a great rest of the year. Happy New Year. Oh, the praise is yours alone, your worthy. Worthy of all, our God is ever almighty, he's ever almighty to save. Our God is ever almighty, he's ever almighty always. Our God is ever almighty. He's ever almighty.